Open your Bibles with me to the book of Matthew. Matthew's Gospel. And look with me, <clears throat> chapter 14. Matthew, chapter 14. Now in our Sunday night study of the book of John, we're going verse by verse, this would be our message or lesson for tonight's sermon. And I'm preaching on the subject, unsinkable saints. Unsinkable saints. Matthew's gospel, chapter number 14 and let's begin reading in verse 22. And straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and go before him unto the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a ghost or spirit. And they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good courage, it is I. Be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, watch this, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. Now we always like to talk about Peter opening his mouth and putting his foot in it and how that Peter did sink, but he did walk on the water. And he was the only one that had the faith to get out of the boat in the midst of a storm and walk on the water at the Lord's command. And so with this in mind, and according to the song we just sung, I want to talk about walking on the water or unsinkable saints. Here we see the disciples in a midst of a terrible storm on the sea. And the Lord is nowhere to be found. Have you ever felt like that? In the midst of your storms of life, have you ever felt like, where are you, where are you, Lord? Seems like he's not anywhere near. What do you do when you're in the midst of a storm and you cannot sense the presence of the Lord? I'll tell you what you do. You learn to walk on the water. I want you to notice this morning three things about this miracle of Jesus walking on the water. First of all, number one, let's notice the storm on the water. The storm on the water. Verse 24, but the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. Now get the picture here. Here is the disciples out in the middle of an ocean, and a storm comes up. You know, we all experience the storms of life and seem to be out of control. 
But there's some things to remember about the storm on the water. And we need to remember these things. Number one, the storms on your life are in his plan. They're in God's plan. Notice verse 22, and straightway Jesus constrained. Now that word constrain is a word of power. It is not just a suggestion, but it means he compelled them or he made them get into the boat. Did not the Lord know there was a storm going to come up on that sea? Of course he did. He's sovereign. He's master of the sea. Amen? He causes all things. He's over power over nature, over wind, over storms. And one reason Jesus wanted them to go through the storm, you might ask, was in order to get them away from a greater temptation. In John 6, the people were going to take Jesus by force and make him a king. And this would have been a very appealing thing to the disciples. I could see them now think, hey, our Savior, he's going to be king. <laughs> and we're his disciples. We'll, we'll probably have rank and order. So to get them away from this temptation, he sent them into their life a time of testing. Now, let me tell you the difference between testing and temptation. Temptation comes from the devil to bring out the worst in us. Testing is of the Lord to bring out the best in us. God never tempts us. He may test our faith. And that's what he's doing here with these disciples. And that's why you and I go through storms of life. You've heard me say this so many times. I know something about every one of you here today and you listen to my radio. You are either right now in the midst of a storm or you've just come out of a storm or you're about to go into a storm. In our prayer request, in our prayer meeting downstairs before the service, we had some people that we put on intensive prayer list that are going through a storm. One is about to lose his church. He's been ran out from his church. He's about to lose his job on top of that. My preacher friend Andy Doherty, one of my preacher boys at Alexandra, has stage four cancer of the pancreas and liver, and it's inoperable. Those are real storms. So when God sees that there is a temptation at, say, your place of work, he may send you a test and you lose your job to get away from a greater temptation. Did you ever think about that? Let me say that again. When God sees that there's a temptation at your place of your employment, he may send you a test and you may lose that job to get away from a greater temptation. Another reason Christ wanted them to go through the storm was to prepare them for a greater storm ahead. See, there's always greater storms. And so sometimes, you've heard me say that the Lord prepares us for what he's about, what he's prepared us for. We don't know what's on tomorrow. We don't know what storm is out there in front of us. So the Lord puts us through storms to make us strong enough to go through the next storm of life. These disciples were destined to go through storms of persecution. They didn't know that. Every one of them died a horrible death except John and 
He died a prisoner on the Isle of Patmos. And so Christ put them into this little storm to prepare them and strengthen them for a greater storm ahead. And that's what the Lord does for us. The same is true for us. The Lord is using that experience that you're going through to get you ready for a greater experience somewhere down the road. Another reason for the storm was to show them things about himself that they could not learn in any other way. Look at verse 33. Here's what they learned after they went through the storm. Verse 33 said, Then they that were in the ship came and what? Worship him, saying, Of a truth, thou art the Son of God. He wanted to make sure they knew that. And when you see the word son of God, it means God the son. He wanted them to worship him as not only just their rabbi, their teacher, their master, but as God. The same is true of our storms. When the storm is over, Christ will have revealed himself to you in ways, listen, in ways that you never could have known in any other experience. And here were people who were in the direct will of God. You know, the, the Pharisees say, well, he must be doing something wrong or he wouldn't have these problems in his life. That's not true. Matter of fact, there are two kinds of storms. There's storms of correction and storms of, of perfection. Jonah went through a storm of correction. But Job went through a storm of perfection. So just because you're going through a storm doesn't mean that you're living in sin or that you've done something wrong and that God is whipping you or chastising you. Oh no, don't think that. Now here were people who were in the direct will of God. See, you can be in the direct will of God and still be in a storm. What was the direct will of God? That they get into the boat. I told you that word constrained means to force. <laughs> they, were in, they did exactly what the Lord said. Get into the boat and go to the other side. And yet being in the divine will of God, they came upon a storm. And the Lord, by the way, has never promised us smooth sailing, but he's promised us safe landing. So when you go through a storm, just remember that it is all in God's eternal plan. Nothing happens by accident, coincidence, fate, luck. It all happens by the divine plan and providence of God. Not only was the storm in his plan, but secondly, the storm was in his prayer. Verse 23 said, And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart. That means by himself. To pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. While the disciples were in the place of peril, Christ was in the place of prayer. Mark's account says that Christ saw them toiling and rowing. They couldn't see the Lord. 
but he could see them. He knew what they were going through. And he knows what we're going through. And he knows what he's going to do. And he's got the situation under control. How many times have we said, where's the Lord? We can't see him. Lord, help me. Well, I don't see you. I don't see any. I don't see the Lord working this out for my good and his glory. But when you can't see the Lord, just remember he sees you, brother and sister. He knows what you're going through. And he's on, remember now, I can't see him, but he can see me, and he's on top of the situation. Listen to this. Job had many storms in his life, but what Job didn't know was that every storm coming in his life had already been the subject of the council meeting in heaven between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They already, had, they already talked this thing over. Beloved, you are in his prayers. Christ is now praying for you, not up on a mountain, but at the right hand of God the Father. And the Bible says in Hebrews 7, 25, that he ever liveth to make intercession for us. How long are you going to be saved? How long are you going to keep your salvation? As long as the Lord is alive at the right hand of the Father, interceding in our behalf. How long is that going to be? Forever. <laughs> That's why you cannot lose your salvation. Not because of anything you do or I do, but what he's doing right now in heaven. What's he doing? Praying for us, interceding to the Father in our behalf. I want you to remember that when you're having a storm on the water, you are in the Lord's plan and you're in the Lord's prayers. Romans 8, 28 says we know, K-N-O-W, not think so, hope so, guess so, and we don't see it. <laughs> I have people say, well, I don't see how all things are working for my good and his glory. But he didn't say you'd see it. He says we well, know it by faith. We know that all things, good or bad, work together for what? Good to them that love God and to them who are the what? Called according to his purpose. God has a purpose in your life and in my life. The Bible says in verse 34, who shall separate us from the love of God? Who? Let's turn and read it. Romans 8, 34. Romans 8, 34. I want you to look at something else first. Look at Romans 26, Romans 8, 26. Likewise the Spirit, who's that? The Holy Spirit that lives in your heart. Likewise the Spirit helpeth our infirmities. That means our problems, our troubles, our sickness, our weaknesses, our pain. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought. Haven't we all been in a situation where we did not know how to pray? You've got a loved one laying on the deathbed suffering. And you don't know why you say, Lord, heal my loved one, or Lord, take my loved one home to be with you. So he said, likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. Now look at the rest. But the Spirit himself, 
maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. <laughs> Not only is Jesus Christ at the right hand of the Father praying for us, but his Holy Spirit that lives in my soul and your soul, he's praying for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. It's something like this. We're in a time of deep distress and we don't have the words. We, we don't know how to pray. We don't want to say. You know what the Holy Spirit does? He says, Father, here's what Carl Morton needs. Here's what Dwight needs. Here's what Dwayne needs. Here's what Todd, here's what Larry needs. Here's, here's what they need. They don't know how to ask for it. They don't know what they need necessarily. But Lord, here it is. <laughs> Father, here. And he makes intercession for us. Look at verse 34. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather is risen again. Watch this. Who is even at the right hand of God who also maketh intercession for us. How about that? So first of all, we see the storm on the water. But secondly, the Savior on the water. Look at verse 25. Go back to my text now. In Matthew, in Matthew chapter 14, and verse 25. And in the fourth watch of the night, by the way, that's the darkest part of the night, from 3 to 6 a.m. In the fourth part of the night, <laughs> Jesus went unto them walking on the, the sea. <laughs> well, there we see the sovereignty of the Savior. Amen. He's walking on water. He's the Lord of nature. He's the Lord of matter. He's the Lord over all. And when the Lord of glory steps out on the Sea of Galilee, every drop of water holds hands together to support our Savior. All things have been put under his feet. He's Lord of the water. He can turn water to wine for drinking and he can turn water into a road for walking. The waves that were over their head were under his feet. What are you going through today? What is your problem? Marital, financial, physical, spiritual? What is in your storm? What is your problem? Whatever it is, Jesus Christ is on top of that problem. So we see the sovereignty of the Lord. He comes walking on that water to them. Notice number two, the sympathy of the Savior. The sympathy of the Savior, verse 26. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, it is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, be of good cheer. Watch this. It is I. Be not afraid. Let me tell you something about that. It is I is a term for Jehovah God. When Moses was told by God to go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go, Moses said what I would have said. 
Well, Lord, who should I say, send me? He said, tell them I am. Not that I was. Not that I used to be. I am the eternal God. That word I am means Jehovah is God. I've done a study of many times and preached on the I am's of the Bible. It's a great text to preach from. Listen to this. The very thing that brought them fear was the very thing that brought them peace. What they thought was the very worst, have you been there? What you thought, what they thought was the worst turned out to be the best. The best thing that ever happened to them. Is this not true in your life and my life? Sometimes the things we fear the worst turn out to be the best. Yes. Let me say it again. What they feared the worst was what they needed the most. Those times that you thought was the worst in your life turned out to be some of the best things in your life. You can look back now and see the sovereignty of God's hand in it. You can see the sympathy of our Savior and what you thought was really, what was, you thought was bad was really Christ coming into your life in a new and living way. The story is, let me illustrate this. A lady, was, a lady had stopped at a gas station traveling down the interstate and stopped for gas. When she got back on the interstate, a tractor trailer ran right up behind her. Well, she thought, I'm going to speed up. He's going to run over me. Probably Gary driving that truck. She speeded up, and the truck driver speeded up. Fear gripped her heart. She speeded up a little more, and the truck driver speeded up a little more. Fear was gripping her heart. Finally, the first exit she came to, she pulled off that exit. And that truck driver, he pulled off that exit. She pulled into a service station. She was going to get out and run inside and holler, somebody's trying to catch me. And when she pulled into that service station, the truck driver, he pulled in his rig behind her. Before she could get out of the car, before she could lock the door, that truck driver got out of his truck ran up to her car and opened the back seat, back door, and pulled a man out of the back seat. He had seen her at that truck stop getting gas and saw this man slip into her car and hide in the back seat. What she feared was the worst turned out to be the best thing in her life. And I tell you, brother, that will happen to you, and it has happened to you, and it has happened to me. Many, many times. Number three, we've seen, first of all, the storm on the water. Secondly, we've seen the Savior on the water. But now thirdly, the saint on the water. The saint on the water. And Peter answered, verse 28, and Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou... Bid me or allow me come unto thee on the water. Now notice it wasn't the other disciples that said that. It was Peter. 
And he said, come. <laughs> I want you to notice in verse 28 the desire. Peter said, Lord, I, I'd like to walk on that water too. Because Peter loved the Lord and wanted to be with him. Do you want to be with Jesus? Do you want to walk on the water for him and to him? You need to learn to walk on the water. I want to show you from the Bible how to walk on the water. First of all, get permission from the Lord. If he says, come, then you go. Peter got a word from the Lord. He said, come. <laughs> we need to hear, believe, obey the word of God. Do you have a storm in your life right now? Then get a, get a Bible. Get your Bible and stay there until you get a clear word from the Lord. And then step out by faith and step out on his word. And when you step out by faith on his word, you step out on the water of your troubles and trials and you're on top of your storm. That's Peter's desire. Notice the Lord command. He said, and he said, come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the sea to go to Jesus. I always like, I always hear preachers emphasize Peter fell. Peter fell. He got out there and he sank. But before he sank, he walked on the water. Did he not? Notice, well, here we got to look at the, number 30, Peter's defeat. But when he saw the wind boisterous, that means violent. The Bible says the wind was contrary, means it was swirling like a cyclone. When he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid and he began to sink. You know why? He took his eyes off of Jesus and got his eyes on his circumstances. And brother, that'll happen to you and me. When we take our eyes off of the Lord and look at our circumstances and say, oh my, what are we gonna do? I'll never get over this. I'll never get through this. I'll never have this. I'll never have that. I say get your eyes off of yourself. Get your eyes off your problems and circumstances. Keep your eyes on the Lord. And he began, sink, began to sink, and he cried, saying, Lord, save me. <laughs> Isn't that great? He didn't pray for all the missionaries in the world. Brother Oldby used to say when he called on somebody to preach or pray in his church, he would say, now I don't want you to, if I ask you to bless the meal, pray for the meal and don't pray for every missionary around the world. <laughs> don't try to show how pious you are, you know, by some long, fancy prayer. You know what Peter said? Huh. Lord, save me. Three words, Lord, save me. You say, I don't know how to pray. Because you're thinking you've got to pray like 
so-and-so and so-and-so that's been a Christian for 15, 20 years. No, your prayer can be three words. Lord, save me. That's how you get saved. You say, well, don't you have to go through this and that to get saved? No. You don't spell salvation D-O, do. And you don't spell salvation don't, D-O-N apostrophe T. But you spell it D-O-N-E. It's already been done. It was done at Calvary 2,000 years ago. Number three, notice not only his desire and his defeat, but his deliverance. And immediately, verse 31, and immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and called him and said unto him, O thou little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? Brother Lord, save me may be the shortest prayer in the Bible, but immediately Jesus reached out and called him, hey, you're not going to drown. You're not going down. You're going up. The Bible says in Proverbs 24, 16, the just man shall fall seven times. How many times have you blew it? How many times have you made a mess of your marriage, your life as a Christian? The Bible says the righteous man falleth seven times and riseth up again. What do you do when you're knocked down? You get back up and start again. Notice this in verse 32. And when they were come unto the ship, the wind ceased. Then they were in the ship, came and worshipped him, saying of a truth, thou art the Son of God. That's what this storm was all about. The Lord wanted them to, wanted them to know him in a better way, a true and living way. Do you have a storm in your life today? Then get into God's word and let God's word get into you. And get a word from the Lord and learn to walk on the water. First, you must hear his word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You'll never be saved until you hear the word of God. How that Christ died for your sins on the cross, was buried, and rose again. And trust him as your savior. You've got to hear the word. And then you've got to believe the word. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Trust and obey. Well, there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. I've got one more scripture from the book of John. John chapter 6. John's gospel chapter 6 and verse 21. John chapter 6 and verse 21. Now this is John's account of the same miracle of Jesus walking on the water. And he stilled the storm on the sea. 
But notice something very interesting that John mentions that Matthew don't. Have you found it now? John chapter 6, verse 21. Then they willingly received him into the ship. That is important. For as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. You've got to believe on him. You've got to trust him. And they willingly received him into the ship. Watch this. And immediately the ship was at the land wherever they went or where they were going. You hear that? Immediately. They don't tell us how they did it. That was another miracle. Not only the miracle of Jesus walking on the water, not only the miracle of Peter walking on the water, but as soon as they received him into the ship, they were at land. It was over for them. Just that quick. And friend, I want to tell you, when you receive Christ into your life and receive him in your heart, no matter what you're going through, you'll come to the end of it. <laughs> It'll be right there. Thank God it don't come to stay. It comes to pass. Aren't you glad time doesn't stand still? We'd go crazy. I won't say it again. You'll get there on the other side. You don't say how long it took them. I believe it happened in a split second. That's what the Bible says. And I want to read it again because some of you are looking at me like a, uh, like, like a uh, billy goat uh, eating straw through a, uh, a pipe. Listen to this. Then they willingly received him and the ship, into the ship. And immediately the ship was at the land whether they went. <laughs> That's the greatest of all the miracles. They made it to shore. Safe and secure from all along. That's why I preached this sermon this morning. Because many of us going through some trials. Many of us are going through the tribulations. And many of us are going through storms of life. Probably all of us. I, I pray if, if I started down on the front row and asked every one of you what storm you have, there'd be a storm in your life. You'd tell me about something going on in your life. But I've got news for you. Not only does Jesus walk on the water, but you can too. You can walk on top of your troubles and trials when you have Jesus with you in your boat. Do you have him? Do you have the Lord? I'll tell you how to have him. First of all, you've got to recognize you're a lost sinner and on your way to hell. Hell bound, hell deserving. And then you must be willing to repent, turn from that old wicked life of sin, turn your life over to Christ, receive him as your Lord and Savior. And then believe with all of your heart and soul that he died on that cross for you personally as if you were the only one because that's how he did it. <laughs> did you know he died for you as if you were the only child of Adam and Eve? And believe that he was buried in a borrowed tomb and arose again the third day. And when you'll accept that and believe that in your heart, he'll save you that very moment. Forgive you of all of your sins. 
Oh, the past and present and future sins are gone. Yes, they're gone. They're covered in the blood of Jesus. Buried in the depths of the sea. Cast behind his back. Scattered as far as the east is from the west. They're gone. And if he covers your sins, you need to cover the sins of others. Are you holding a grudge? Somebody did you dirty? And you say, well, I'm not, I'll never forget what they did to me. Well, that's not covering their sin. I'm through. Listen. Noah got off that ark. Him and his wife and his sons. Eight of them. Only eight survived the wrath of God in the flood. You know what old Noah did when he got off the ark? Somebody said, yeah, he probably built an altar and started praising God, worshiping God. No, he got drunk. He got what? He got drunk and took off his clothes. But his boys would not look upon his nakedness. They took a cloth, a blanket of some type, and one on one side and one on the other, and they walked backwards and covered the sin of their naked, drunken father. Jesus covers our sins in his blood, and we need to cover the sins of others. Don't let others bog you down. Don't let others eat you alive. And say, well, I'll forgive them, but I won't forget it. Aren't you glad God didn't say that about you? Maybe you need to come rededicate your life. Maybe you need to come join our church. Maybe you need scriptural baptism. But if, you're sa- if you if trust the Lord as your Savior, we give an old-fashioned altar call, invitation, whatever you want to call it. Come, let us know about it. We'll deal with you. Father in heaven, take the message and make it real as only the Spirit of God can do. And will do. Grant repentance and faith to some lost sinner here today or listening by radio. Show them their need of a Savior. Save them by your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's